מייד קוטן חטא עמוד א', אמושיונל הייג'קט, לא יספידנו קודם לרגל שלושים יום. So we've been dealing with actually a, a, a few of the last year in form one, one group. We've talked about the fact that you have to create space for simcha, for joy. It doesn't just happen. You have to make the space for joy. We talked about the idea of Tosefet, Tosefet, Shemitah, Tosefet, Shabbos, Tosefet, Yontif, that you've got to start getting into it before. You can't just turn on the simcha. You've actually got to gear yourself up towards it and get into it. Yesterday, we talked about the fact that you've actually got to protect yourself from sadness. because sadness invades, and you've got to take steps to protect yourself from sadness. These are all mechanisms to access joy, to access simcha, and not to be dependent on it coming from the outside, some, some external source of, of simcha. And today we talk about emotional hijack. You can be on an emotional journey towards simcha, and you get hijacked. Um, and a good example of that, Ilan raised it yesterday after the shir, like on a Friday afternoon, you're on an emotional journey to Shabbos. You're on your way. And just before Shabbos, you open your emails one more time. And you can have one email there that occupies your mind for the whole of Shabbos. It's hijacked you off the journey you were on. Uh, so to be, uh, to be able to, to perceive, to see, to foresee the potential for emotional hijack, hijack and to prevent it, is what we have today. And understanding this piece of Gomorrah in that framework makes what is other, otherwise an absurd piece of Gomorrah. It makes it very, very meaningful. When you find an absurd piece of Gomorrah, it's exciting because you know there's a matmon there. Mm-hmm. When the Gomorrah appears to be absurd, you know that there's a matmon. So let's have a look at it. The Mishnah is quite clear. Just, the second part of the Mishnah. A person shouldn't get himself worked up about a... Um, a death that he's had in the family, and he shouldn't hire maspidim. In those days, a hesped wasn't like today, certainly in the Ashkenazi world, where a hesped's like a very cerebral presentation of the person's life. Uh, in those days, the purpose of a maspid was to get people to cry because it was considered an honor for the, the dead person. Sometimes one sees it in Svodi uh, funerals today as well, that, that, that the cry, letting, it go, letting yourself go emotionally. is actually seen as a covert for the, for the mate. And the maspid's job was to turn on the tears, to get, to get people to cry. That was the maspid. So you don't do that. Kodim l'regel shloshim yom, for 30 days before yom tif. You don't do that. Says the Gemara, Kodim l'regel shloshim yom, ma'ishna shloshim yom. What is this 30 days that we're concerned about before the yom? Where's the 30 days from? Omar Rav Kahana, Omar Rav Yudah, Omar Rav. So Rav, Answers, there's two answers. Rav gives one answer, Shmuel gives a different answer. Rav says, Oh, you want to know where this halacha comes from? There's a story behind this halacha. This din that you can't hire a maspid for 30 days before Yom Tov, there was a story. There was a certain person. He saved up money to go to the Beis HaMikdash for Yom Tov and to bring his korbanot. Uva... And one of these professional maspidim came and stood by his house and got everybody emotionally worked up and crying. And his wife, you now you have to pay the maspid. He's a, he's a professional cry maker, tearjerker. When he's done his work, he expects to be paid. And, and now you're all emotional. So of course you're going to pay him. The only money she could find was the money he had saved. So she gave the money to the to the Sabdan, to the guy who gave the Hesped, and he had no money now for the, for the Korbanot for Yerushalayim, so he didn't go. 
and he didn't keep, he didn't keep the mitzvah. At that time, Chazal said, the Chachamim said, Lo yorer al mitzvah, lo yaspidin akodim l'regel shloshim yom. That's when this Mishnah was created. That's when this halacha was created, that you don't don't hire maspidim for 30 days. And, and it, isn't that absurd? I mean, it's, it's crazy that, you know, what are you solving the real problem? Say, lock your money away from your wife 30 days before you have Say, well, but to stop his spade him, and if something else comes, some poor person comes to the house and the, and the wife gives the money to the poor person, is it just the must be? Is that going to solve the problem? I know, no must be. So there's something else going on here. It's not just that. And then uh, Shmuel says differently. He said, once you start crying about the dead person, it takes another 30 days to recover, says Shmuel, and then it's already Yom Tif. What's the difference between Rav and Shmuel? The difference between Rav and Shmuel is if they sometimes says, I don't want money, I just want to make you guys cry. Uh, and, he, and he does that. According to Rav, that's, uh, that's fine. There's no, the- there's no fear of, of having no money for Yom Tif. According to Shmuel, it's not fine because you're still making yourself unhappy before Yom Tif. Um, Tosfus is quite interesting. Tosfus is even according to Shmuel, this is just about hiring yourself, but to cry yourself is fine because, in fact, it's better to let it out. To, 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 to hold it back in doesn't make a better Yom Tov. 30 days before the Yom Tov, you're going to let yourself cry about the loss that you've had. Rather get it out. Um, because you can actually relieve your pain more by shouting out, and then by the time Yom Tov comes, you'll be cheerful again. So that's Shmuel. So Tosfa says this is only about um, about paying for it. But interesting that the Tosfa's paskins like Rav, the one that seems so absurd. Tosfa says that's the psakaloch, and not everybody paskins that way, but Tosfa does. The the Reibin Gas, Rebitzak Ben Gas. This is from the time of the Rif. This is an early Spanish um, Rishon. Uh, lived in Lucena, which is just south of, of Cordoba, where the uh, where the Rambam was. Um, so he's, a, he's he's important, and he writes the Kivan the time of the Milta Mishum Aliyat Haregel. Since this whole thing is about going to the Beis Hamikdash, Ha'idna Shari. Now we don't go to the Beis Hamikdash in any case, so it's mutter. So he takes it very very literally and simply. This this was the story. Somebody missed going to the Beis Hamikdash, so from that time they said no no maspidim. It's too emotional. It distracts you, it derails you, and then you land up not going to the base of Mikdash. But today we don't go to the base of Mikdash at all for Yom Tif, and therefore it's not it's not applicable today, is what the the, the Ritz Gay says. The Ramban, now it's important to know, as, as you'll see as we go on, the Ramban is a, a Talmud of the Ritzvah. The Ritzvah is a Talmud of Ri and Rabbeinu Tam. Ri and Rabbeinu Tam are the early Baalitosphus who come from Rashi. So the Ramban, although he was in Spain, was, was heavily influenced by the Baalei Tosfus, by Rashi's school. And you'll see why that's important. The Ramban brings the Ritzgeis and he says, no, in, in his Sefer Torah Sodom, he says, no, Mishum Simchas this is not this is not just about the Beis Hamikdash, this is about Simchas HaRegel, Shadam Mechanes Mamonol L'Tzokhei HaRegel. Because a person starts saving up for Yom Tov, 30 days before Yom Tov, Fati Liv Tulimi Mitzvah. And now the money gets given away to something else and it damages your Simchas Mitzvah. Now you haven't got money for, for Yom Tov. It's not about money to go to the... That particular story was about getting to the Beis Hamikdash. But for everybody, you don't have money for Yom Tov. That, <laughs> the danger is you might not have money for Yom Tov. So he's still interpreting it fairly narrowly in terms of money, in, the, in terms of the money, but it's about money for Yom Tov. Says the... Um, I told you that the Rashi we have on Moed Cotton is not Rashi. It's probably Rabbeinu Gershom. Um, but we've got access to, to Rashi, we've got access to manuscripts, and some Gemorrahs they've got, and this Gemorrah they've got, Rashi on the 
the Kisveyad of Rashi, the original Rashi on the side. And in that Rashi, Rashi says, interesting, what is this 30 days? Do we know anything else about 30 days before Yom Tif? Does that not ring a bell? We've said in Gemara Psochim and, and, and all over, Shalim Kodim Shloshim Yom. We start learning the laws of the Yom Tov, 30 days before Yom Tov. Now you start hearing the Rabbonim are starting to give shiurim about Pesach, about Sukkot, about Shavuos, and you realize Yom Tov is coming and you start putting money away for the Yom Tov. So they're still on the money issue, on the fact that you're, that you're saving up for Yom, for Yom Tov. And that's important because the way you prepare for a Yom Tov, the way you prepare for anything, you prepare your mind, you prepare, to, we talked about making time for it and creating space for it. One of the ways you put yourself on an emotional journey towards an, an, a destination is by saving up. You put money away for something, the same as you carve time out. You say, I'm going to take a week off and we're going to the Swiss Alps to ski. Here's the week that we're doing it. You carve the time out. That's one thing that you do. And then you put money away. You're going to need money for that. So money, the fact that money is scarce enables you to use money as one of the instruments of preparation. And we prepare for Yom Tov. When, when a person comes and he starts hearing Hilchus Yom Tov uh, 30 days before the Chag, he starts putting money away for the Yom Tov. Now, that's really important, as you're going to see in a moment, this idea of saving up as part of the emotional journey towards a Yom Tov. Yom Tov doesn't just turn on. You don't just go, 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 and, oh, now it's Pesach, let's uh, quickly get our Pesach thing together, and it's Pesach. Or, or, or Shavuos, the same as with Shabbos, we've said, you've got, to, you've got to go on a journey to get to a destination. You can't suddenly arrive at a destination. And nowadays, where you can suddenly arrive at a destination, it takes you a week to recover. Because you can't suddenly arrive at a destination. That's not how our bodies are built. It's not how our minds are built. It's not how our souls are built. And we see that an interesting machlokis, Beis Yosef and Bach and other, we showed him earlier, as to whether this din of saying, of learning the, the halachas 30 days before the Yom Tov applies to the other Yom Tovim as well, or only Pesach where it's actually stated. The Beis Yosef says only Pesach because there's so many halachas to learn. The Bach says it's clear from Rashi and Tosfos, again, the school of Rashi and Tosfos. It's interesting. Beis Yosef is, the, is the, more of the Sephardi school, so it's quite interesting to see the split all the way through. The Bach says, and absolutely not, according to Rashi and, and Tosfos, it's clear that it applies to all Yom Tovim, including Shavuos. What halachot are there to learn for Shavuos? You've just learned Hilchus Yom Tov for Pesach already a few weeks before then. You've learned all the halachas. What's there to learn for Shavuos, says the Bach? Even if you're a book, you know the whole Torah, you know Shas, you know Shulchanot, you know it all. When Yom Tov comes, you've got to get into it and serve it. And you've got to get it to, to learn the Torah, to be in it. So we see from, from the Bach and that whole school, which includes Rashi, uh, that the idea of learning 30 days before the Yom Tov is to get on the emotional journey, to get yourself prepared. You put money away for Yom Tov, you learn about Yom Tov, you get ready for Yom Tov. Those are the things you do, and you need 30 days to get ready for a Yom Tov. That's how long it takes. This idea that this 30 days, that, that it's, yeah, I've said it so many times in the last little while, that we're not digital, we're analog. We can't just jump and turn on and turn off. We've got to get there. We've got to move. We've got to journey. Everything is a journey. Even before the davening, there's a journey into davening. And, and there's a journey into, uh, into Gomorrah, into learning, into Torah. And we talked about that. And we talked about the fact there's a journey afterwards. 
that you don't just suddenly run out of shul and now you're, now you're in the world outside. There's a, there's a journeying in and there's a journeying out. And you'll see how far this goes. I discovered an amazing um, idea that, that is so, such a chidush, but, but it's, it's so amazing in terms of what we're learning. Uh, Reb Dubnil Mofshevitz was, was in, in Kelm. He was the head of the Kelm Talmud Torah. He was the uh, son-in-law of Reb Nochem Zev Ziv, who was the son of Reb Simcha Zissel, who was the Talmud of Reb Yisrael Salanta. And, uh, and uh, Reb uh, Daniel died in the war. He was killed by the Nazis in Kelm. Beautiful story, and I, I heard it from people who were in Kelm, from non-Jews who were in Kelm. The, the non-Jews lined the streets when Reb Daniel led the people of Kelm to their execution. He gave them a shear about how to die and what it's about. And they sang Adon Alam all the way from the Talmud Torah to the burial place where they were going to be executed. And the Goyim came out to look, not in hatred, but in admiration of, of the majesty with which they walked towards their execution and performed the mitzvahs. Reb Daniel was an amazing person. When my father went to Tells, Reb Elia told him before he went to, to, to Lithuania, he said, the first opportunity you've got to go to Kelm and see Reb Daniel. You've got to see Reb Daniel and you've got to become close to Reb Daniel. And, um, and he did that. My father tells the wonderful story. That he prepared a whole sugi of Gemara to talk to Reb Daniel. He came to Reb Daniel, this amazing person. He was a, he was a young man. He died young. Uh, but an incredible tzaddik, an amazing Talmud Chochem. And he prepared this piece of Gemara and he sat down. It was a Shabbos afternoon and Reb Daniel had to apologize to my father. He couldn't give him food. He said, can we be Yotzeh Shalashudas with Divrei Torah like Beishamai? I just don't have anything to give you. But that was the level of poverty. Didn't have food for Shalashudas. And they, he started talking, and my father was ready with his piece of Gemara that he'd prepared, and Reb Daniel said, no, what Shakespeare? What's the last Shakespeare that you read? He says, Hamlet. Reb Daniel started grilling him over his understanding of Hamlet and giving him chidushim in Hamlet, and he's just like, okay. So next he goes back to Yeshiva, next Ben Azmanim, he prepares King Lear, and he comes back to Reb Daniel, and Reb Daniel says, no, what sugi are you holding? He says, last time I prepared a sugya, you asked me Hamlet. This time I prepared King Leah and you're asking me a sugya. I don't know what's going on. He said, last time you knew in yeshiva. I, I, you don't know what's going on yet. I want to see how you think. So let me, let's talk about something that you're deep into. Now you've been in yeshiva for six months already. Now we don't have to talk about Hamlet. We can talk about a sugya of Gemara. But you just see the breadth and the understanding. This Reb Daniel was an amazing person. And Reb Nosson David Wachtvogel, who was the mashgiach in Lakewood yeshiva, was the Talmud of Reb Daniel. He is an interesting person. He learned in Europe when he was 15. He came to the United States. His father got a job in, in Canada. He went to Yeshiva University. When Limudai Chol was introduced into Yeshiva University, he left. He went back to Europe. Uh, he learned in Mir and other places, Reb Shimon, Reb Ber. Then he came back to America. He met Reb Chon Vassman in America, told him how terrible America is. Reb Chon Vassman said, get back to Europe. And he went back and learned with Reb Daniel another three years. And then um, and the war had already started. He managed to escape. Reb Daniel didn't. And he became the mashkiach of Lakewood Yeshiva until the late 1990s. Um, and he tells that Reb Daniel said that the same as there's 30 days before Yom Tif, you need 30 days after Yom Tif. Because Yom Tif is, the, is like the midday. And the 30 days before is building up to it. I'm so excited to hear this because this is the whole thesis that we've been developing the last few weeks. This idea of the journeying towards Yom Tif and the fact that he was talking, yes, but then you can't just, now you're in Yom Tif, then what happens when Yom Tif's off? You just turn off and now you go back to normal? No, you actually need 30 days to come down again. Uh, that, that's, that's the way the human being works. That's what this Gemara is telling you, all these sugyas that we've been learning. That's what it's telling you. You need to journey to destinations. You can't suddenly drop yourself. You can't parachute 
into a destination, you need to journey to a destination. And therefore, if we go back to our to our Gemara here, the idea that we're talking about, it's not just he didn't have money to go to the to the to the Mikdash, it's just because of one weird, unusual case, the Chachamim are going to make a, a, a halacha exera that applies for all generations. It doesn't make sense. But the story so beautifully depicts how you can be hijacked. The man's putting money away for Yom Tif. He's putting money away to go to the base of Mikdash. As the Ramban says, it doesn't matter if it's the base of Mikdash or for Yom Tif. His head is getting into it. He's getting excited. He's building up. This is like much more than his skiing holiday in the in the Alps. This is going to the base Hamikdash for Yom Tif. And he's all excited. He's going, and all of a sudden, the Sabtan comes and he captures everybody's emotions. And the wife gives him money because she's heartbroken and everybody's upset. And all of a sudden, they're in sadness instead of in, in, in happiness. The whole emotion has been hijacked. Say the Chachomim, foresee what happens. Don't say, Allow the Hespedim, just don't use your money for it. So don't let the don't let the the, the Sapdan, the Hesped man, hijack your emotions. He will hijack your emotions. That's his job. Don't allow it. Cut it out altogether. Don't look at your emails, Ilan's point. I quoted you in your absence already, Ilan. Don't look at your emails just before Shabbos Yomtov and say, Oh, just look at them and it won't bother me. It will, it will hijack you. So you've got to be able to look ahead and say, I'm on a journey. Anything that could potentially hijack me, I'm, I'm excluding. I'm actually leaving it out because it's too dangerous. It can damage my journey. It's like you're about to get onto the plane to go to the, to the Alps and you want to look the last time at your, at your emails and there's an email there that you, you've got to attend to. You're going to miss your plane. You've got to go to a meeting. You've got to do something. Better not just, just understand that you're on a journey and you don't want to be hijacked and identify the forces that could hijack you off your emotional journey and exclude those forces from your life during that journey so that you can arrive at the destination that you've set out to.